Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Thursday, July 20th, and this is episode number 203. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Investing Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Great to be back with you guys again today. It has been a while. It's been about a month since my last episode. So much has happened. There's some absolutely fantastic news coming out of Canada over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to cover that in depth towards the end of this episode. We're obviously going to run through the scoreboard, give you the statistics that are relevant to understand from an investing perspective. We'll go through the charts relatively quickly, but I want to focus mostly on the fundamental setup and the fantastic news that we had coming from Ontario, Canada over the past couple of weeks, along with some other anecdotal thoughts on the sector. Before we get into the scoreboard here, I want to let you know that if you did miss our webinar, we did a free webinar called The Nuclear Renaissance is here. We did that, let's see, this was about three weeks ago. If you did not attend that webinar and you'd like to watch the replay of that webinar, click the link in the description. You'll be able to register and watch a replay um, on your own schedule. This was a fantastic 30,000 foot view of the overall investing thesis. If you're new to the sector, if you're curious, what the heck is this uranium investing thing all about? I want to know more. Why is the setup so good, et cetera? Check that out. Highly recommend it. We got a lot of great feedback. It's free. You can watch the replay on your own time. The link is in the description below. As always, if you do appreciate these episodes, I uh, would appreciate it if you liked the episode, shared it around, subscribe to the channel. And I hope that all of you are doing well and enjoying your summer so far if you're watching this from the Northern Hemisphere. And if not, hopefully you're hanging in there through the dark winter. All right, let's just jump into it here. Starting off with the spot price of uranium. Sitting here at 56.12 a pound mid-market on the day I'm recording this, which is the Thursday, July 20th, did not see any movement in the price, but it has ticked up a bit over a dollar over the past week and a half or so. This is notoriously the slowest part of the year. Typically, we'll see the spot price flat, if not down, while utility fuel buyers are on summer vacation. Um, there generally is this very slow period for uranium, for not only spot uranium, but the equities as well, going from July, uh, July and August typically. Now, we've had a couple of breakouts over the past few years during this period of time. Two years ago was the advent of Sput when they came on the scene and they bought a ton of uranium um, towards the end of August. Last year, we had a breakout at the end of August as well um, on some Japanese news. Uh, this year, we expected things to be a little bit slow for a period of time before the annual event, which is the WNA conference in London. That happens the first week of September every year. Typically, this is slow. However, not only are we not seeing the price of uranium fall, we're actually seeing it move up. We've seen some action in the spot market, mostly by utilities. Why is that? The physical funds are not in there. Spot has been trading at a uh, persistent discount to NAV every single day for almost five months. They haven't raised a penny and their cash position is dwindling down relatively low. Do we think this eventually will reverse? Will we see them at a premium to NAV again? Yes, of course, but that's just a sign of sentiment and investment flows. Still not seeing big investment flows into the sector yet. So without Spud in the market, uh, Zuri invested a little bit of buying last month. 
Um, yellow cake's not doing any buying at the moment. So who's in the spot market? It's the utilities and the traders, and to some extent, producers. Although the producers, I believe, were buying a bit lower. This is mostly utilities action in the spot market. Not huge volumes, but the fact that they're there at all means something is different this year. Turning to SPUT, they traded, it closed yesterday at 11.63% discount to NAV. The trust actually traded up today. Um, XLE was up today. Everything else was red. Uh, Cameco sold off. That dip was bought really quickly. That stock has been very, very strong as the lead sled dog for the sector. We'll look at the charts in just a second. But SPUT still right around that 11.5% discount to NAV. Very, very uh, big discount to NAV. Of course, we've seen it as high as 18 or 19% at times when the sector is really risk off. We're certainly not in that period right now. Risk is not exactly on. We're kind of in the middle range here in terms of risk tolerance for the sector, but it's holding up decently well. Yet SPUT continues to trade at a pretty big discount to NAV, although even at a persistent discount, it continues to move up with the spot price of uranium, generally speaking. Turning to the ETFs, so URA, URNM, and we're now tracking URNJ, which is the Sprott Junior Uranium Miners ETF. It excludes a number of big cap stocks and has a couple of juniors that are not included in the other indexes, uh, indices. This is a this is a very, very, uh, really like this ETF, and we're starting to track the flows in this ETF as well. So since the last episode, which was about four weeks ago, we have not seen any mandated buying coming from the ETFs. Very, very little. In fact, I believe yesterday was the only outstanding share increase reported by URA over the past month or so. So generally speaking, May and June were mostly mandated selling coming from the ETFs. A little bit of mandated buying in early June. But still, the ETFs and that flywheel effect, the funds flowing into the ETFs, the ETFs buying spot, ETFs buying the equities, and we see everything rise. Um, we've seen, we haven't seen a whole lot of that the, over the past number of months. Still waiting for that big next leg, which I believe is coming. Okay, let's briefly look at the charts. Starting off with URA here, and I am showing a weekly chart. URA hanging in there, $21.99. Uh, per per uh, unit here, uh, still trading above that rising 200 week moving average. We've got it above the rising 50 week moving average. That that 20 week moving average is yet to break strongly above that 50 week, which is obviously something we want to see. Uh, see the shorter term moving averages above the longer term moving averages. Everything moving up in unison. We're not quite there. However, we did break up and out of this triangular pattern. We had a perfect, just about a perfect retest of that breakout, still well above the lows of a couple of months back. I don't know if you guys remember, you probably do. You go back to March of this year, about three months ago, uh, excuse me, about four months ago. Uh, and we had extremely, extremely negative sentiment here. And if we look at the daily chart, remember what I was telling you at that time. Uh, the RSI was off the screen. Okay, look at the daily uh, relative strength index during that period of time. Off the screen, oversold, right down to that trend line. That was a screaming buy, and we were pounding the table at that point. URA since then is up about 20%. Some of the larger cap uranium stocks are up even more than that. Um, could we see a pullback? We absolutely could. Why do I think that? Well, the broad market in particular um, the tech sector of the broad market, and in particular, a half dozen giant cap tech stocks are driving a short squeeze melt up uh, of epic proportions. So if we look at the queues, uh, very overbought with some really, really obvious negative divergence in the daily RSI, 
So what does that mean? We've got a higher high in the actual uh, index and a lower high in the RSI. Usually that means at least a short-term, near-term pullback. We saw that pullback today with the Qs down 2.3% on the day, the NASDAQ down 2 point, just about the same. So starting to see the tech roll over here, uh, certainly very, very overbought. And perhaps if we see a significant pullback in the broad market, it's going to take us down with it. That remains to be seen. Let's go back to our URA chart. So one thing I want to note here, and I'm going to show you another chart from my friend Patrick Kareem from North Star Bad Charts. What we want to see in this general trend is on this big move up, we see a oops, we see a big move up in volume. Now we get this big reset in terms of a consolidation and a decline in the valuation of the shares, and that happens on declining volume. Volume. Now what we see here is a basing. We're starting to see basically a ranged bound trading for the past year, year and a half. And this is a similar setup for most stocks in the space is we see a basing and a consolidation. That is very, very healthy for a setup for the next move to the upside, which we believe is coming. Cameco, like I said, lead sled dog, absolutely gorgeous here. Trading at levels uh, we have not seen since 2010. It's the last time we saw it. And this was the big breakout in the stock back in 2010, prior to the Fukushima Daiichi accident. Beautiful, beautiful chart, clear breakout, retest, and resumption of a breakout. Perhaps we see a bit more consolidation if we see some risk coming off markets generally in the coming weeks or months. But this, obviously, where Cameco goes, so the sector goes. We heard, what did we hear last week? Uh, ARKK was buying Cameco. That's significant. Um, so that's that could be... Of course, this is highly speculative to even say this, but there's a general belief that during this period of what is likely to be relatively sticky inflation, yes, on a year-over-year -year basis, we're down substantially, but we can all feel it in our day-to-day -day lives and what we're spending. Inflation is certainly here. Um, we still believe there's a strong case for commodities, generally speaking, for the coming years. And we believe that we will see a rotation of funds. Now, was ARKK selling Tesla and buying Cameco one early step in that direction? Who really knows? But the case for uranium, the case for nuclear continues to grow on a daily basis. And uh, we want this stock to outperform at the very least in the early stages of this market. Are we in the early stages? Absolutely, we are in the early stages. How about we look at a monthly chart of URA, and that'll give you a better idea of how early we are. Sorry for all my scribbling on here. Yeah, we're really damn early. Okay. URA compared to the S&P. Let's take this to a weekly chart. Sorry for my, uh, my um, moving all around of these charts here, you guys. But coming back to this, URA compared to the S&P, it honestly is a similar chart to the URA chart by itself. But compared to the broad market, we are just above a level of, of multiple areas of support. This, however, is showing me a little bit here. Possibly we see an inverse head and shoulders pattern here. That, of course, relies on these levels staying relatively stable from here, moving at least sideways, if not up. And then we kind of have this rounded bottom sort of position here. Now, this is only about a three-month period of consolidation. Um, clearly, we are not breaking out against the S&P in any way, shape, or form, despite the fact that the sector has moved quite nicely over the past few months. Uh, the S&P has been melting up, like I mentioned, just absolutely killing the shorts. 
Um, shorts are getting roasted. The melt up continues. Everybody is bearish and yet the market just keeps climbing a wall of worry. That's how it works. Let's look at SPUT. Uh, I drew out this, uh, looking at this chart a couple of days ago, um, covering this for the daily updates that I do for our uh, Uranium Insider members. This is one of my favorite technical patterns. This is a, an ascending triangle where you have a, an area of repeated rejection on the high side. Now we had this breakout. That breakout was totally driven by crazy flows during the month of March and April uh, last year. So not super technically in line because that was such a flashpoint in time. And then it reset considerably lower, right? And we went super risk off into the summer of, of last year. And we've been kind of chop city with uh, similar highs and higher lows. And why do I love this pattern? Because this technical pattern is not just lines on the screen. This actually makes sense from a logical trading perspective, right? Let's say you are a trader and not a long-term investor. Are you going to take profits when it hits an area where it's had resistance four, three or four times in the past? That's pretty likely. That makes sense to me. However, if the sentiment is positive, the uranium price is moving up. Um, if generally speaking, the overall sentiment for the sector is positive, you're probably going to buy that dip a little bit sooner than you bought it last time. And eventually this breaks up and out, and this is going to follow the price of uranium. So right now the price of uranium is taking up. We've got another month, month and a half of what is typically summer doldrums. I don't think we're going to see breakout moves in the spot price in the next few weeks. That's my opinion. But we've got the WNA conference in September, and we've got a lot of utilities on the sidelines in talks um, to secure pounds. And we've got a very, very tight mid-term supply situation. Not a lot of pounds available coming from the primary producers for the midterm. When I say midterm, I'm talking about a two to four year period. So this is probably going to chop, maybe make one more higher low, and then we're going to break up and out of this. And that's what this is going to look like. I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you nothing is for sure in the markets, right? But most likely that is what is going to happen. Of course, that's not a very bold call. Why? Because it's obvious that the uranium price is going higher. There's nothing that has been more obvious in my entire investing career. It is going higher, period, the end. What's going to happen in the markets tomorrow or next week? I have no freaking clue. What is going to happen to the price of uranium? It's going way, way higher. Looking at URA compared to the price of uranium. This chart is shocking, okay? We go back to what I consider to being the beginning of the bull market, December 2020. That's this breakout right back here. We are trading valuations right back at that level, um, which has been support over the past year substantially. Look at this beautiful consolidating base at the bottom of this pattern. This is going to move and it's going to move hard when it does. Uh, the larger the base, the bigger the space, right? So this is going to make a big move to the upside at some point. Right now we're just basing. And what is this chart telling you? This chart is telling you that compared to the metal itself, the miners are damn cheap here. How cheap are they? They're as cheap as they were before the bull market even started. So now we've had one big fat leg up and one big consolidating um, re re uh, resumption of low valuation over the past year and a half, almost two years, okay? Two years ago, November will be this peak right up here. And it's been a big, big valuation reset. What comes next? The third leg of the market, it is going to be that wave three. It's going to be um, an enormous move when it comes and it's going to come here. All right, lastly, we'll just chart the price of uranium here. I like to look at a line chart for this. Um, zooming out, let's just look at the monthly chart here and give you guys a little bit more perspective. Um, 
we are clearly in a bull market. And uh, I'm going to quote my friend, John Polamy, who writes an excellent newsletter called the Actionable Intelligence Alert. And he puts out a podcast every weekend, typically on Saturday. Um, very high quality stuff coming from John. And he's a really good guy. And basically he highlights uh, just about every week some of the positive things that are happening in nuclear uh, and for the uranium trade. And he's basically saying, keep it simple. We're in a bull market. We're in a bull market for uranium. And we have been, I, you know, I don't really call the bounce off the bottom, the beginning of the bull market. So the bottom is 2016, but when we start to make a, a, a su substantial and sustained move higher, when we see these moving averages move up in a positive direction, that's when we're in bull market territory. So in this particular case, we're talking about trading above these, these, and this is the 20, I guess this would be the 20 month and the 50 month when that uh, inflected and we saw that quote unquote cross here, uh, pull back to that. So when we have this breakout, this is probably the bull market breakout, right? But either way, clearly we are in a bull market for the commodity here. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do other than accumulate weakness and sit back and let it play out. Why? Because it's going to play out. It's not going to go up in a straight line. Markets are certainly in, in volatile times right now. I get it. It's not an easy trade, but it is easy to see where this is going. That is the easiest thing to see. Okay. Since we're talking charts, let's look at this chart again. This is coming from my friend Patrick Kareem at North Star Bad Charts. And I love uh, I love this guy's charts, and here's why. He has a super long-term viewpoint, okay? Most people are looking at daily charts, if not hourly charts, and trying to trying to track every single beep, and it's just, it's, it's very exhausting to do so. Um, if you're a long-term investor like I am, if you like the prospect for this sector and you find it constructive and you are constructive on the stocks in the space and you are accumulating, how about we zoom out and let's look at some notes on this particular chart. Okay, so this is a monthly chart of URA, and he's got the Ichimoku, uh, excuse me, Ichimoku cloud here, and we're right kind of in the early stages of coming out of that red portion of that cloud. And again, increased volume on this big first leg up. So that point here is back. That's the COVID crash, March 2020, peaked out in late 2021. Bull market really didn't take off until late 2020. But of course, that trough valuations during COVID, that was the buy anything moment or buy everything moment, really. So we had a big leg up and big increase volume. Then we've had this consolidating pullback over the past 18 months and a big sentiment reset. How do you know it's a sentiment reset? Look at the volumes. That is people throwing in the towel. That is low volume capitulation, not high volume. Uh, get me the F out of this. It's frustration, it's impatience, and it's accumulation by the long-term investors on decreasing volume. The next, what happens next? It cycles. Everything cycles. The next part of the cycle is the next leg up. Which we, sh we should see a big increase in trading volume for this ETF and for most of the stocks in the space as well. Price peaks with volume. Yep, he nailed that. Coiled price sandwiched between the one and three year moving averages below critical takeoff platform, massive volume defined base. So look at the volume defined, where did all the trading volume happen with this big base we've been forming over the past year or so. Beautiful, beautiful setup, great chart. Thank you, uh, Patrick. I wanna make sure that you uh, get the credit you deserve with this work. And by the way, they have uh, a technical charting service at North Star Bad Charts. I couldn't recommend highly enough. Okay, so let's talk about Ontario. 
Ontario, um, this is an absolute success story, nuclear energy in Ontario. And um, for our members webinar, this was earlier this week. Uh, I'm recording this on Thursday. We did this on Tuesday, two days ago. Our special guest for the webinar was Doomberg. And we talked with Doomberg, who um, just released a piece today on, um, on Ontario's nuclear energy um, rollout. Okay. And so this piece was called Cheat Codes. And I want to give you a couple of points from this webinar because I think that they link into what's coming out of Ontario very, very nicely. So whether or not you follow Doomberg, I highly suggest that you do. Um, the service they provide is great. The writing is brilliant. Um, coming from somebody who really appreciates quality, communication, intelligence, and vocabulary, this guy's writing is some of the best I've ever read in my life. Um, the pieces are concise. The length is perfect. There's humor. There's uh, there's subtle dishes. Um, and there's just good data-backed up intelligent writing and I couldn't recommend it enough he was a fantastic guest and so we talked obviously we talked mostly about nuclear and one of his core sort of theses is that physics wins in the end okay so he talked a lot about Ontario and this latest piece that he wrote cheat codes is about nuclear in Ontario I highly recommend you read it if you aren't subscribed you should be so essentially what happened is in 2009 Ontario passed this green Act. I don't remember what it's called exactly, but this had uh, an enormous amount of money allocated for the expansion of solar and wind and battery backups. That money was spent. Electricity prices went way up in Ontario, and the populace wasn't having it. So essentially what happened is they voted in um, Ford. This is a shift in the political leadership in, in the province. Um, they voted in new leadership, and the new leadership said, hey, we're going to kill that program. And we're going to start doing more of what's already working great for us, which is more nuclear. So what have they announced over the past two weeks? Bruce Power plans to add up to 4.8 gigawatts of new nuclear to its existing 6.2 gigawatt facility um, on the shores of Lake Huron. So this, in theory, when this is built, will be the largest nuclear facility in the world. Um, that's fan freaking tastic. This is a big, big deal. 4.8 gigawatts, new nuclear. So all, almost all of the new nuclear, especially in the West that we're seeing right now is, is, uh, leaning towards SMRs. And there's various reasons for that. But one of them is that the proposed cost for the SMRs is obviously, uh, significantly smaller than building a large scale nuclear reactor. Now, not necessarily less cost per megawatt produced, but um, less cost overall. So that's one reason why SMRs, and of course, SMRs, some of these newer designs have safety mechanisms built in, but hey, um, uh, Bruce Power, OPG, uh, nuclear in Ontario with these can-do reactors have a very, very solid safety track record. So this is a big deal. Bruce Power um, looking at expanding an additional 4.8 gigawatts of new nuclear, new nuclear. Fantastic. What else? Um, Ontario Power Generation, OPG. So they are already in the early stages of building the first SMR in Canada. This is going to be a, a GE Hitachi BWRX300 at the Darlington site. So that's in the early stages of construction. And they announced um, about 10 days ago, they're planning three more of these for a total of four BWRX300s. Fantastic, at the Darlington site. Okay, what else coming out of the Darlington site? The refurbishment of unit three. So there's four units at Darlington. They're all being refurbished. This plan was enacted in 2016. 
um, they secured the funding to do so. And the refurbishment of the third unit, they reconnected to the grid 169 days early and on budget. Okay. So why is this important? Well, the Pickering, uh, the Pickering station was given a two-year life extension last year. And that's a small life extension, of course. And the, this plant was, was slated to shut down, even though it was in basically perfectly good operational condition. It was given two years. And why was it given two years? So that they could reassess and see if it's, um, if it's eligible for refurbishment to give a longer life extension. Um, so the fact that Darlington is, uh, Darlington Unit 3 was reconnected the grid almost a half a year early and on budget is a very, very positive sign for the potential future of Pickering. That's, that's very, very good. And the guys, uh, Dr. Chris Kiefer and the guys at Canadians for Nuclear um, are doing fantastic work, fantastic work. You should be following them on Twitter. You should be listening to the Decouple podcast that Dr. Kiefer hosts. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The latest episode of Decouple, by the way, um, which just Google it, find it, you'll find it on whatever podcast platform. It's a great podcast. He interviewed a young man from Denmark who talked about their their energy and that the nuclear has been illegal in Denmark for the past 30 something years. And uh, finally, they're starting to kind of explore the possibility of revisiting uh, nuclear in the country. But he highlights a lot about their energy grid and their current, uh, the current energy grid and much of the fallacies around it. So a lot of their electricity and industrial or uh, grid um, grid scale heat comes from biomass. And a really interesting and funny point of from this interview was that since the Kyoto Protocol that was signed by a number of countries back in the 90s, the producer of the material to be burned in biomass energy facilities is the one that gets the attribution of the carbon emissions from the burning of that material. So for example, in the Netherlands, more than half of their biomass that they burn for electricity and heat comes is imported. Okay. And most of that is coming from North America and most likely the United States. So when they burn that and the emissions go into their country, the emissions are attributed to the source of the material right here in the good old US. Great. So when you see uh, statistics about how clean the Netherlands grid is, it's an absolute bald face lie. Um, just he rips it apart. And honestly, I'm seeing story after story almost on a daily basis of this green agenda and the climate panic just absolutely falling apart. Um, wind power uh, makers are losing money building these. They're they're pulling out of these deals to build more offshore wind. Uh, these initial uh, wind turbines that are said to be able to run for 25 to 30 years are starting to fall apart after less than 10 years. Uh, it's, it's all crumbling before our, our eyes and it's absolutely beautiful. Now, don't get the wrong idea. I consider myself to be environmentalist and I haven't for a very, very long time. I think natural spaces should be preserved and protected as much as possible. Um, but to, to panic about carbon and then be against the nuclear, that's where I draw the line because it doesn't make sense. You can't have both things. Okay, so on on the uh, on the European energy front, I'm almost done here, you guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Uh, Mark Nelson and his team from the Radiant Energy Group, they're in Germany right now. They're reporting on Germany. They're doing their own independent research on the Germany power plants and nukes in the country. And what are they reporting? What have they dug up? Well, it turns out eight of the shuttered reactors in Germany could technically be restarted, eight of them. 
And they just shut down their last three uh, earlier this year against all logic. And now we know eight of those reactors can be restarted. So if we go back to Doomberg and why he highlighted what's happening in Ontario. First of all, you implement um, you implement energy plans based on ideology, not physics. The second step, uh, your grid gets dirtier and the energy prices go higher. Okay, that's we're check that's happening in Germany. The first was energy vende, right? Um, 400, 500 billion dollars invested in solar, wind, and batteries. They still have one of the dirtiest grids in, in, in Europe and very, very high energy costs, basically a failure. Oh, yeah, one or two days out of the year, energy costs zero because the wind is really blowing on a sunny day. But it doesn't really matter when you need the energy in the winter and the wind turbines are not moving and the skies are cloudy. Um, that's They literally could have just burned that money and probably produced more energy in their biomass facilities. Okay, so step one, ideological um, energy plans. Step two, dirty grids, high cost of energy. Step three, the populace doesn't take it and they implement change. We've already seen in one area in Germany um, the right-wing party win for the first time in something like 150 years or something like that. Um, this was kind of a, a big deal. And what are they saying? Oh, it's uh, a, a failure, failure of democracy. It must have been a rigged election. Yeah, no, the people are just fed up with the green agenda in Germany, okay? And the majority of people in Germany want those plants restarted. They're in, in support of nuclear. So the people are fed up. They vote out or by whatever means they have to if the voting system is not legit. Um, new power comes in and they shift back and in the end, physics wins out. So it'll be interesting to see what other countries will follow Canada and follow Ontario in particular. I believe the USA is going to do that. We are seeing certain elements of that right now with this advance act that's running through Congress it is yet to be voted on by the uh, full Senate and House. The um, Environment and Public Works Senate Committee voted 16 to 3 for the Advance Act. The Advance Act has a number of provisions in it to support new nuclear, new advanced nuclear designs, new streamlined processes with the NRC to actually come up with, um, with, with the elements to be able to uh, allow advanced nuclear designs to be passed and be built in the states. It also has bans of Russian uranium within it. So this, I believe the ban would begin in 2026. There would be provisions to allow for those deliveries to continue past that point if it's a national security issue or if there literally is no other options. But by 2026, there will be other options. Um, and so, and obviously when you see your neighbors to the North doing the right thing and they get clean, stable, baseload energy and low energy costs and the populace supports it, well, guess what? Um, we're going to have to go that way. And we're seeing the early signs of it. So great work coming from Mark Nelson and Dr. Kiefer, just brilliant stuff. Uh, all of these nuclear advocates, you, you have my unabashed praise. Okay, so all of that, let's bring it back to uranium investing. What do all these stories mean about the embracing of nuclear? Okay, especially in Ontario with new nuclear builds accelerating. I could talk about France. They're actually um, starting to make deals. EDF is making deals with the makers of the uh, control modules for these new EP EPR2 reactors. They plan to build six of them in the next 10 years. The first two are going to break down, uh, break ground next year. What this means is that demand is stable and growing and supply is in question. That's what it means. 
That's what it means. And supply is very fragile. And I don't have enough time in today's podcast to get into the weeds on what's going on in Kazakhstan. But let's just put it lightly or put it briefly, I should say. Kazakhstan is is pr produces almost half the world's uranium, um, at least of last year, 43% of the world's uranium last year. This uh, They have considerable ties to Russia and the West uh, that obviously is not okay with those ties has most of the demand for nuclear reactors and therefore uranium. So basically what that means is this biggest producer in the world will be increasingly tied to the East and more of those pounds are going East. We've got a major supply crunch coming. That's what we're talking about here, you guys. And every single story that comes out on a weekly basis of new nuclear, of a life extension, another life extension application was just sent to the NRC today from the Perry plant in Ohio, 1.2 gigawatts. They want a 20-year extension. Their 40-year license is up in 2026. Are they going to get it? Yep, they're going to get it. Why? It's a perfectly safe boiling water reactor. So 1.2 gigawatts, that's about half a million pounds a year for 20 years. It's another 10 million pounds of demand that nobody is modeling in right now. So demand is stable and growing, supply is not. Um, brownfield supply is coming back online, that's good, we need that, but it's fragile. And when the supply situation is fragile, you don't have to know what's going to break it. You just know that something will break it. Something will break the supply, uh, break the supply chain down. And there will be a scramble for pounds and the price is going way higher. It's easy, it's an easy bet here, you guys. All right, I'm gonna leave that there for you. Um, if you'd like to check out the replay of that webinar, I suggest you click the link and register below. You can watch it on your own time. It's free. Um, we, we, you can hit us up with any questions. There'll be links to contact us from this webinar, and we'd be happy to uh, tell you more about our service or answer any of your questions around nuclear, uranium, and the investing thesis, generally speaking. Thank you so much for watching. If you appreciate this content, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. I, again, I'm going to try to do these more often once a month. That's about all you're going to get right now, but I'm going to try to push that for um, at least twice a month, if not weekly. So I want to get back on a schedule with this because I know you guys appreciate this. And this, this thesis is just getting better and better almost by the day. So the next big leg is coming. Is it tomorrow? Is it next week? Is it next month? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that it's coming. And I can tell you with very, very high confidence that uranium is heading higher. Typically when uranium heads higher, so do the equities. That's the bet. It's pretty simple, but of course, uh, the equities have performed drastically differently. Some equities are actually down from the, where the commodity bottomed in 2016. Yes, believe it or not. And those are not necessarily where you should be putting your money because they're going to play catch up to Cameco and NextGen and Denison, the other big caps that have moved very nicely. Um, pick wisely, you'll outperform the market. So um, just to let you know, our focus list portfolio has outperformed the benchmark of URA since the inception of our newsletter by almost 3x. That's the kind of alpha we're looking for. We're going to get it again in this next run. All right, you guys, be well. Have a great weekend. I will see you again, hopefully not too long from today. Take care and see you soon. Cheers.